0: the defining moments in your life how many of them are there how many defining moments are there in your life I mean I'm talking about a defining moment that that you were at a crossroads or there was something that took place that was so life transformational that that defining moment set the course of your life from that point forward and it has never and will never be the same For the time and the moment that these two, I hope like you, you have a time and a moment in which you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and accepted Him and committed to follow Him as your Savior and your Lord. That is a defining moment. Another defining moment is is what these two have done this morning. A defining moment in following and being obedient to Christ in the ordinance of baptism. Baptism is simply an outward manifestation of an inward change. It is a declaration to the world that from this moment on, I am a committed devoted follower of Jesus and maybe many of us this morning have made that decision and we have been journeying with with Christ for quite some time but there is a time and a moment in our lives where we may have veered from him or we were not walking as close to him as we should have been walking as close to him as we we needed to be and should have been and we went to a revival meeting or we went to a a a retreat like this weekend where our ladies went or we went somewhere where we had an encounter with God. And because of that encounter, we repented and we were reconciled and we walked away in a renewed relationship with Jesus Christ. And that defining moment forever set the course and the pace of our lives. Those are defining spiritual moments in our lives. And I know many of us have those in our lives. And if you don't, Have that kind of experience. I encourage you to follow the example of these two today before you leave this place and nail that experience down, that defining moment of trusting Christ, following Him in baptism, and living for Him. But today, we are going to a time and a place thousands of years ago when God's people are at the doorstep of the promised land. This is one of those defining moments. Their lives will never be the same. Not only presently, but from this point on, it will never be the same. A defining moment. We, like them, are going to have a defining moment on October sixth, 2013. That's in Or Sundays, I believe. October the 6th, 2013, the first Sunday in October. I invite you and encourage you to put that on your calendar. Do not miss it. It's simply called the crossing. I believe and I'm praying that this is one of the defining moments that we have as a church. It is a time and a moment where we individually come together corporately and we will nail down an encounter with God and we will leave the past and we will cross over into the promise and the blessing that God has for us as a church. We're going to mark that day with some special things and some special events. One of those is one service at 11 o'clock in here on that Sunday morning. We're going to combine the praise team over there, the worship team over there, and the orchestra and the choir here in one service. We're going to have one group of people on October the 6th, and we have some things that are coming up that will make this a very special day. And I invite you to be a part of that. Get on the phone. Make sure that there are plenty of people here to experience and to encounter God on that day with us on October 6th because that is, I believe, I'm praying October 6th is a defining moment for us as a church. And I I know you will not want to miss that Sunday. We've been talking about the crossing now, began a study last week, the sovereign crossing, which the people of God are moving from the wilderness into the promised land. And we see now where God is getting ready to move them into the promised land. And he comes to them and he says, Guys, in order for you to cross over to the Jordan, you must be prepared to cross over. You've got to be prepared. Because without the proper preparation, they will not be ready to move with God when God says it's time to move. And so he comes to them through Joshua and he communicates to them that it is now time to get ready to prepare to cross over. And so we need to get mobile today and to be prepared for where God is going to take us. Everybody in this place has what we call a mobile phone or a mobile phone, right? Hope you have them on stun. Okay? Okay. So if somebody calls you, you're going to do it like this. We can't hear it, but you're going to feel it, right? Why do we call them mobile phones? They go wherever we go. We must take them with us, and we can stay in connection to our loved ones and our friends and, and even some people that want to harass us, even on our mobile phone. Can a mobile phone get up and go wherever it wants, whenever it wants to do whatever it wants? No. Why? Why? It's not a living thing. (laughs) We, like the mobile phone, need to become mobile. As we place our hands in the hands of the Father and God using us, he has the right to take us wherever he wants and to do whatever he wants in and through our lives. And he then wants to take us and move us into the realm of his blessings. But we must become mobile because if we are not mobile, if we're not prepared for the crossing that God wants to bring into our lives, it will not become a reality and we'll miss out on the opportunity that God has for us. So let's go to the book of Joshua and begin in verse 10 from Joshua chapter 1. And let's take a look at how the people of God prepared to move with God. First of all, we see in this text that so there is... A command. This command is an imperative. And we're going to see this word command several times throughout our reading today. Where God is going to command Joshua. And God is going to command God's people through Joshua and through his officers. And this word command is is over and over again talked about and described in this text. And it is an imperative. Meaning that we who are his people do not have an option as to whether or not we want to do what God is commanding or not. Because we must either do what God is commanding or we become defiant. We become sinful. We become rebellious and disobedient children. So it is a, an imperative command where God is commanding us, not giving us an option. It's not for vote. We don't take it to a committee meeting and discuss it and argue about it and then bring it to the... We don't vote on it. These are commands that are coming down from heaven to the people of God where God is commanding his people. It's time. Get ready. So let's take a look at the command. First of all, in the command, we see that the command tells us that we must tell or share the good news. There's a telling of the good news in this text. Notice, and Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people. God had spent some time with Joshua. Joshua, in his familiar Way of lifestyle was always communing with God, and God and Joshua had a one-on-one, and God told Joshua, it is now time to move. It is now time for the people to occupy the promise that he had said that he would grant to their forefather Abraham, and now to Moses, now to Joshua, and he's saying, now it is time to receive or to declare or to proclaim the good news. It's time to inherit the promised land. This was good news. These people, I'm convinced, were Bapticostal, When they heard the good news, their feet were dancing and their spirits were uplifted and they were shouting and they were singing glories and praises to God. And it was a jubilant, exciting time. Why? Because they had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They've been camped out where they are for about two years, awaiting for the good news. It is time to occupy the promises of God. And now it has come that moment. And now it is that time. And it is time for the people to cross over and receive what God had promised. This was good news. I can't help but parallel that since Joshua and Jesus, the names basically mean the same. You see where I'm going? We have a good news. And the good news is found in the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The good news. That is to be communicated, that is to be shared, that is to be told throughout the land that there is a promise that is awaiting those who will place their faith and trust in Jesus and accept him as their savior and commit to him the leadership of their lives, you too can become a recipient of the promises of God. The command was to tell the good news, and it was good news. Not only was the command to tell the good news, but the command was also, as you notice the text, to travel lightly. Notice as he communicates... To the officers, the ones that helped Moses are now helping Joshua to go throughout the land. And notice what they first declare unto the people. They say, Prepare your provisions. Keep in mind the reason they need provisions is because that the the manna is no longer going to come down from heaven as they cross over to Jordan into the promised land. That that manna is gonna drive but it's gonna go away, and they're gonna need provisions. But I'm convinced it's not only physical provisions or nutritional provisions for their body, but I think they're to prepare for battle as well because they know as they go into to occupy this land that there are strongholds, that the enemy has fortifications, the enemy is strong, and they're going to engage in battle. And so the preparations are more than just about food. I'm convinced they're about making sure the weapons are ready and get ready for warfare. But notice they're to prepare for the provisions. You know, it helps me sort of sort of relate to the Romans 12.1 thing. Where it says in Romans 12, 1 that we are to lay aside every weight that entangles and that hinders every sin that would trip us up. And, and the fact that we who are in Christ, like them, are to travel lightly in this world as we make the journey that God has called us on. He's saying to these people, now keep in mind they've been camped here for about two years now, some believe. Now, in a two-year time frame, we can accumulate a lot of stuff, right? And because they have been there for quite some time awaiting the good news, they have began to build permanent dwellings to make accommodations that are a little bit more comfortable. And as a result of all of their effort, it is time now to travel from where they are to where God wants them to go. And they're going to have to now make a decision as to what is needed and necessary and what is simply luxury or greed. Because there's nowhere in the world they're going to be able to take everything that they've accumulated in two years as they journey across the Jordan and into the promised land. So they're going to have to sort of discern what is necessary, what is needed, and what is fluff, what is luxury, and what is Not essential. And so we too must, I think, from time to time evaluate our own lives because we have a tendency to sort of accumulate stuff, don't we? Come on, don't we? You've got a place in your basement you haven't been in in probably months. Why is that? You close the door and you want to ignore it. I've seen some of your garages. I'm one of those garage people that I actually like to park my car in my garage. I have some neighbors. They don't park their car in the garage. They can't fit their car in there with all their stuff. We've got a lot of stuff that's not always necessary. It's not always needed. And if we're not careful, we'll allow the things to accumulate in our lives that will stagnate us and cause us to not move with God when God says, I want you to move. I want you to go with me. I want you to become what I want you to become. And so we must then discern those things that are necessary and needed and those, those things from those things that are weights or sin that would hinder and prevent the activity and the work of God. So he says, travel lightly to them and to us. The, the, the third aspect about the command is he says, this command is time-sensitive, Time sensitive. Notice what he says in the text in verse 11, this third part of verse 11. He said, For within three days you are to pass over this Jordan and to go and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. How many days do they have to get ready? Three days. Now, keep in mind, they've been at the doorstep of the promised land already. They've been there before, maybe not this generation, but the generation before, and they were not prepared to, to sacrifice. They were not prepared to go. They made a decision that it, that it was too costly, and they would rather lose and forfeit the blessings and the promise of God rather than go with God. And so he's saying to them, you've got three days. This window, of, this, this door of, of opportunity is only open so long. And then after that, it's going to close. So you've got three days to get ready. And to move, when I say move, three days. You know, Jesus said in Revelation 3, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Knock. And when he knocks, that's the moment of opportunity. And we must... Respond. That is the moment and the only moment of opportunity. There have been many people who have heard Jesus knocking on the door of their heart and they said, not today, maybe tomorrow. And guess what? It's been 40 years since he's knocked again. And they've missed their opportunity. There have been many people who have received Christ and yet they have stagnated and become stale where they are only to hear the voice of God saying, I want you to move with me. And they said, not today, maybe tomorrow. Tomorrow becomes next week, and next week becomes next year, and next year becomes next years, next decades, and before you know it, it's been 40 years. And they've done nothing but now live with regret. I can't tell you how many people I know in ministry who have heard God call them to ministry, and they've not accepted nor surrendered to that call. And now, as senior adults, they live with regret. Because they didn't go with God when God said go. Because you see, that moment, that window at opportunity is only open so long. And if we resist and reject and refuse, guess what? We lose the moment of opportunity. And no longer is it available to us. When we decide to go with God, it becomes too late. So it's time sensitive. When God speaks... You're to move. Where he leads, you're to go. What he wants to change, you're to change. You're not to delay, not to put it off, not to compromise, not to negotiate, not to bring it for discussion or to bring it to the people to vote. You're just simply to go. It's time sensitive. So his command is not only time sensitive, but his command causes them to think responsibly. There's an aspect of responsibility here in this text because notice in verse 12, he now addresses the communication of the command to a, a smaller group of people that are a part of the large group. So I think he's communicating to the small group, but he's also communicating to the group as a whole. And he addresses now his attention to two and a half tribes of the 12. There are 12 tribes, and he addresses the two and a half. Notice what he says now to two and a half tribes. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua now speaks and commands the word of the Lord. God has spoken to Joshua. Joshua is speaking to these two-and-a-half-tribal people. He says, remember the word that Moses, the servant of God, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is proving you a place of rest providing you a place of rest, and will give you this land. You have to go back to Numbers 32 to realize what is happening here. There's a reference in which Joshua is now reminding the people, these two and a half tribes, of a previous covenant that they had made with God through Moses. What's happened? Well, Moses has led them now to the western side, I'm sorry, the eastern side of the Jordan. And they're camped out there. Ray, waiting for God to issue the command to go over the Jordan and occupy the eastern side of the Jordan, right? And while they're there, these two and a half tribes, they're, uh, they're, they're animal people. They, they have livestock. That's how they make their living. They, they tend to sheep and to goat and all kinds of animals. And so this land that they're now in, Getting ready to go over to the promised land is great pasture land. I mean, it is, it is conducive to livestock. And these guys are recognizing and realizing that. So they come now to Moses and they say, hey, Moses, we know that the promised land is on the other side of the Jordan. But do you think God would grant this as our inheritance? We already possess it. So could this be a part of it? And God through Moses, says, yeah, this is awesome. You can keep this part of your inheritance as a part of your promise. So these two-and-a-half tribes now camp out and make this their permanent home. Why? Because it's suited for their livestock. But God, through Moses, makes a covenant with these these guys. He's saying, hey, if this is going to be your inheritance, you've got to make a covenant that when my people cross over the Jordan, the other seven-and-a-half tribes... That you go into war with them and that you do battle with them until all of the land that I promised has been occupied. They said, We'll do it. And God, through Moses, says, If you don't, I'll consider it sin and you'll be in defiance and in rebellion to me. That was their covenant. Now, from Numbers 32 to now, they're about to cross over in the promised land. And Joshua's reminding these guys, remember the covenant that you made with God? I want you now to hold to the responsibility of fulfilling your commitment, your promise, your covenant with God. As I thought about that, I thought about the covenant that we made with God when we came to faith in God through Christ. Remember that? Remember the moment you placed your faith and trust in Jesus and accepted him as your personal Lord and Savior? Remember that? Remember that moment? And you laid down your all at the altar. And you surrendered all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength to him. Now, granted, most of us in here didn't fully understand exactly all that we were surrendering. But we gave him our all. We made a covenant with God to receive the promise that is found through faith in Jesus. And we gave him our all and we made that covenant. But how many times have we reneged on that covenant? How many times have we held back from that covenant? How many times have we not been responsible in that covenant that we made to him? I only wish that we had the grace that was necessary that these guys had to be able to fulfill the covenant that we made with Christ on our salvation day. And I think there are times when we need to, when we're considering a decision or we're considering a direction or we're in communion with God and he comes and evades our lives with commands, that we think about the covenant that we made. And I think as we think about the covenant to surrender to give him our all, that we now are living sacrifices unto him, that we no longer have a free will. There is no such thing in this book called a free will. Once I have surrendered my rights over to his and he becomes mine, I die to my will. Now the only thing I have in my life is his will be done, not my will be done. Wasn't that what Jesus prayed? Lord, not my will be done, but thy will be done. Oh, who are we as believers, committed followers of Jesus, who have laid our lives at the altar, who now claim, I have a free will? No, you don't. The only will you have is to do his will. And to follow his word and to go where he says to go and do whatever he says to do. And we must always think responsibly when he invades our lives, our comfort level and our likes and dislikes. And our little bitty lies that we've built up with all of its comforts. And, and he says, change. And we go, well, I don't want to do that, God. And he says, you don't have a choice. I am Lord and you are my subject. And now you do what I tell you to do, and you go where I go, and, and you do what I tell you to do. And our answer is simply, yes, Lord. That's it. Not only is the commander think responsibly, but he says, take precautions As they get ready to prepare to cross over, he wants them to take into consideration those who are weak, those who are are, are physically and spiritually immature. He says in verse 14, your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. He's saying to these two and a half tribes, you're to send your men over there, but you're to make sure that, that the weakest among you and those who are physically and spiritually immature shall not go over and to engage the enemy. Why? Because you're to care and take, consideration for those at least they become easy targets for the enemy didn't God say through the penmanship of Simon Peter that the enemy that that is after us is like a roaring lion seeking whomever he may devour he's seeking to devour and who are the easiest targets? Who are the ones that he seeks out the most? They're the weakest among us. They are the, 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 the youngest, the, the immature ones about us, the ones that have not been educated or discipled. And he seeks those out because they're easy prey. They're easy targets for his tactics and his schemes and his temptations and his intimidation. And We have a responsibility, those of us who are mature and grown up in Christ to protect the weak, to care for those who are not yet quite mature. These new young believers who have committed now to follow Christ have not grown up as warriors and are not fully cognizant of all of the aspects of spiritual warfare and they are going to need people to walk alongside them and to protect them and to train them, to pray for them, and to care for them. We see here the command to his people, not only tell the good news, travel lightly. Not only is it time sensitive, not only are they to think responsibly, not only are they to take precautions, but notice they are now to transition over into a, 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 an attitude of warfare. An attitude of warfare. Notice the second part of verse 14. He said, but all of the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them. The men of valor are the ones that are to go into battle. Men of valor. I'm convinced that what we need more today in the church than any other time and what we need more in our families today more than any other time are men of valor. Soldiers, warriors who understand that it takes character and it takes commitment to stand up and to engage the enemy on behalf of your wives and your children and the church. And at any other time in history, I think what we need more today is men of valor. Why? Because we are dumbing down the role of men in the marriage, in the family, and even in the church. We have more women leading in the church today than at any other time, I think, in the history of the church. And yet we need men of valor who are, notice, armed to the teeth. They're armed to the teeth. I know we got some men who have concealing carries and they're normally armed to the teeth. They've got weapons now that are meant for defensive purposes and offensive purposes. And these men who have the weapons that are necessary are commanding, as God is commanding us to assume then the obligation of men of valor to dress ourselves for spiritual battle as he describes in in Ephesians chapter 5. He describes the armor and the weaponry that we're supposed to use and we are to dress and utilize that armor and that weaponry with incredible skill and with amazing strength, the strength of the Lord. We're in war. We're in a war. We're in a war, war for the hearts and the lives of souls of men and women, boys and girls who have yet to receive the promise. That's what the war is about the war is not only a war against those of us who are in Christ where he's seeking to destroy our witness and to deflate and devalue our influence in the world but he there's an all out war right now for the lost souls of men and women who have yet to receive the promise that's really what he's saying here he's saying guys i want you to send men of valor who are who are equipped to the hilt with the weapons that are necessary so that they might lead the pack in in charging against the enemy to capture and to possess the promise for those who have yet to have and to hold on to the promise. There are men and women, boys and girls, just like these two today, who have yet to hold on and to receive the promise, found through faith in Christ, unless we who know Christ, men and women of valor, will take the message of good news and penetrate the darkness so that they might possess the promises made available to them through Christ. We have a responsibility to, to assume this, this role of, of, of spiritual warfare. So when is it over? Uh, when is it over? I remember one time I, I was a young pastor, and I know this is kind of funny, but you've heard it said so many times you don't think it's true, but this is a true story. Somebody actually asked me, I think they were asking in jest, when do we ever pay Lottie Moon off? We keep raising money for Lytman. When do we ever pay her off? And the answer is never. Uh, when do we ever? When, when are we ever done? When is the battle ever over? When is the war finished? Notice he says to these guys. He says, the battle's not over, you're, you're dressed to the hilt, you're going out and engaging the enemy until everyone, until, notice this at verse 16, until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you, and they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. When is the battle over? Until everyone that, that God the Father wants to call unto his Son have received G- faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. Until that happens, there's still a battle on. We're still engaged in war. This is a war, and it's a war where the stakes are incredibly high. The stakes are the hearts and the souls and the eternal destinies of of people who have yet to possess the promise of God found through faith in Christ. We, like them, must be valiant warriors and engage the enemy and fight a good fight and engage in the battle that God has called us as long as we have life and as long as we have breath, as long as we have resources until we, we see the battle complete. And until the trumpet blows and Christ returns, which brings us back now to the final aspect of the command. The command is, is finally then to, to enjoy the treasures of the blessings of God. There's a, there's a possession here. There's a, an enjoyment here, a rest that's described here. Notice he says in the last part of verse 15, Then you shall return to, the, to your land. When when the battle's over, you return now to your land. Everyone who's supposed to receive a promise has received their promise And now you can return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. And the land that that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunshine. Now you get to rest and enjoy the promises of my blessing. What does that describe for us as believers? Come on, what does it describe for us? Starts with an H. What? What? Say that one more time. What is it? Heaven. Heaven. Heaven is described for us. When will that happen? In 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, Paul says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve at others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left unto the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from the heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet, and God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds, and we will meet the Lord in the air, and we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. When is it over? When Christ returns, are you breathe your last breath? There is no retirement, there is no rest in this battle that we're in for, to, to, to help Christ and the Holy Spirit redeem a lost world back unto Himself until Jesus returns or we die physically. Until then, we're to fight the good fight. We're to run the race. We're to give it our all. Somebody said, Well, you know, I've done my time. Really? Really? You're still alive, you still have breath. I had a breakfast with Brother Dorian Friday morning, and I loved to have breakfast with him, and he always asked the question, why am I still here? You ever ask yourself that question, why am I still here? Because as long as you have breath and as long as you have life, every lion, no matter how old he is, still likes to roar from time to time and should roar. There is no retirement and there's no rest until it's over. There is no, well, we've done all we can do. No. We're to possess all that God has promised us in Christ. And until that is accomplished, and it won't be accomplished until Christ returns, we are to give it our all. And as God, through Joshua, commands the people, what kind of response do they give? What kind of commitment do they give? Notice what it says in verse 16. The commitment, the response that is needed from the people they gave to God. Notice they said in verse 16, and they answered Joshua. All that you have commanded us, we will do. And whatever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Notice they, we, is used three times. The word they is used once. And they answered Joshua. It's almost as if all the people. Now keep in mind, these are several millions of people. The millions of people together as one army, one unit, one voice said, we. We will. We can't go with God individually. We can't go with God even as small groups. We must all go with God corporately. Either we all go or none of us go. It's not going to happen if just the pastor goes. It's not going to happen if just the staff goes. It's not going to happen if just the pastor and the staff goes. It's not going to happen if just the pastor, the staff, and a few life groups go. It's necessary that all of us make the journey together. Because wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is unity. And whenever there's an absence of unity, there's an absence of the Spirit of Christ. And without the Spirit of Christ, we don't stand a chance. What caused the people of God from occupying the promises that God said that was theirs and kept them from the promised land? A lack of unity if you want to read something interesting, read the period in the wilderness. All there was was a bunch of disunified people constantly bickering and constantly complaining the whole time. It was a, a group that was wandering around aimlessly in the dark being led by God by a pillar in the you know cloud by day and a, and, and, a, and fire by night being protected they were just they were just They were not happy people and they were not one. And now, before they occupy the promised land, a whole new generation recognizes the fault and the failure of their parents and grandparents. And now, as one group of people, they answered Joshua. Not only did they proceed in unity, but they pledged to follow God. I'm going to say something here that's a little bit borderline. Gonna get me in trouble, but that's okay. Okay, and the reason why I could say this is because I don't have that problem here. Okay, uh, this is a church that understands the role of leadership. It has the whole time I've been here. But I'm gonna tell you that part of the problem why many churches are dying across this nation. Many of them are dying. They either plateaued or they're declining. It's because the people in those churches will not follow the leadership that God has placed over them. And we have, a, we have a huge chasm today between churches and leadership. And churches are removing their leaders at astronomical levels today. And more leaders are quitting the ministry than at any other time in the church history. Hundreds of them drop out every month and quit. Because churches run, why is there such a chasm? That's why a lot of young men today who are going into ministry, you know what they're doing? They're starting new churches. They don't want to go to existing churches. You know why? Because going to an existing church means a fight. They would rather start from nothing, something that they've started that they can lead and those people join and follow them. That's easy. And we have an epidemic now of existing churches who have run their pastors off and young men who won't go to those churches because they've run pastor after pastor after pastor off. They've not followed the, the leadership of their pastor and, and, and they're dying. There is, there's an aspect here where God is saying to the people and the people are, are understanding this that God leader people. That's, that's how it works. That's how it works. Now I know I know we're in different times, and we all possess the Holy Spirit, and the presence of Christ is with all of us. But even in the New Testament, I find time and time again, that's how it works. There's a chain of command. There's a chain of command in the family, God, husband, wife, children. There's a chain of command in the church, God, leader, body of Christ. And notice he says, they say, we will do all that you have commanded us. Now, they're not following Joshua. They're following the Lord. And what many leaders fail to realize is they need to hear from the Lord first before they take leadership and ownership of where they're directing. And the sad reality is there are many today who are leading the church who are not connected spiritually to God. They're not hearing from God, and they're leading uh, from... Uh, from methods and programs that are often produced by men. I mean, we're the most program-driven denomination in any denomination in history, Southern Baptist. And Nashville invented a program that's designed to lead all churches from one place to where God wants them to go. It's, it's unfathomable to think that every church is the same across this nation. And we all need the same programs and the same stuff. And they are pledging to follow God. Wherever you lead us, we'll go. God, whatever you ask, we will do. Unlimited, no holes barred, unconditional, surrender to follow God. But notice they also commit to pray. This this verse, this little phrase here in the second part of verse 17, it, many believe it's kind of like a prayer. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. And they're committed to praying for their leader, to, to keep close, connected, in fellowship with God. And as God leads their leader, and their leader leads them, they're actually following God. Let me ask you something. How many of you pray for me? I, I don't Put your hand. How many of you? I, I need your prayers. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty human. I said, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty human. Say that again. I'm pretty human. Thank you. One more time. I'm pretty human. All right. We can agree on that. And I can miss him as as much as you can. And I have a carnal nature just like you. And and you need to pray not just for me but for the other pastoral staff. But we need to be a praying church because there's no way in the world that we're going to go forward without prayer. It's just not going to happen. Are we a praying people? We've talked about how to raise finances in this church, and I'm sick. I'm sick. I've been here going on seven years. We've not had a, the whole time I've been here, we've had a debt crisis. You know that? A money crisis. We've had a money crisis for over 10 years. And finally, I lost it in the finance committee meeting the other day. I said, money, 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 money. I'm tired here about money. The problem with our church is not money. The problem with our church is a spiritual problem. It's a problem of the heart. And the only way that that the heart can change is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the only way the Holy Spirit and his power is going to take effect in our lives and bring the change that is needed in our hearts so that we will freely give because giving is an act of faith. Is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And unless we pray, the Holy Spirit is not going to work. So, what's the answer? Prayer. Are we praying? Well, I've tried that, you might say. We'll keep praying. Because your timing and God's timing is not always the same. They were committed to personal accountability. Some of us, myself included, we, I don't like this. Notice what it says in verse, in verse 18. Whoever rebels against your command and disobeys your words, whatever you command him, shall be put to death. That's pretty harsh. Hey, Joshua, if they don't obey you, they're going to be put to death. Now, why did they say that? I think, I think sometimes many of us would agree that we fear man more than we fear God. Seriously, we fear man more than we fear God, <laughs> because if you sp- sped this morning on the way to church or any anytime you speed, your heart goes, why is that? There might be a police officer and he's going to blow me over, give me a ticket, so I- I'm going to get caught and, and i'm going and we go like this, and some of us like that adrenaline rush, and so you probably play handsomely in, in all the tickets that you get but but why do, we, why do we get an adrenaline rush? Because we know we're breaking man's law and man's going to catch you, give us a ticket. But we break God's laws all the time and have no, nothing at all. It's like God's going to give us a pass or God's not looking or I'm God's favorite so therefore I get special dispensation from him. No, you're not. And this idea and this concept of personal accountability, it says if there's anybody among us that is not obedient to the Lord, we're going to hold them personal, personally accountable for their lack of obedience. We have some people in this church that have left our church because we hold them accountable for their lifestyle. And they've left because they can go to church down the road and nobody gets a flip how they live. And if you really love them, you'll hold them accountable for the lives that they live because that's biblical. And the objective and the desire is not because we're we're more spiritual than you, so we're gonna look down on you. No, the Bible says that those of you who are spiritual need to tend to those who are less spiritual and help them because you know what? There may be a time in your life when you're not as spiritual as you should be, and they're gonna come along and they're gonna help you. That's how it works. Because I may be strong today and you're weak, and maybe a time you're stronger than me, and I may be weak, and we need to hold each other personally accountable for the lives that we live. Now, people today don't want to be held accountable. They can go hide in a church around here and spend forty-five minutes a week in a church, and go home and feel good about their Christianity, and they live their lives as they choose. And yet he says we're we're to commit to personal accountability. If we're going to go with God. Then lastly, they commit to persevere. Commit to perseverance. Notice it says here, only be strong and courageous. They're wanting to encourage Joshua. Why? Because they know what's coming. Well, maybe they don't really know, but they have an idea. They've heard what's in the land. They know about the giants and the fortification. They know about their parents and their grandparents bickering and complaining and and constantly fighting with, with Moses as their leader. And now God has raised up a whole new leadership with a whole new attitude, with a whole new character. And they're saying, hey, Joshua, we know what's coming. We know as we pass over the Jordan, we know where we're going. We know what you're going to face. As you lead us, be strong, be bold, and be courageous. We want to encourage you. As together we persevere to accomplish and to possess what God has already granted to us and is already ours. So how do we wrap this up in about two minutes? How do we become mobile? How do we become mobile? Well, there's a time management thing. It's now or it's never. Or maybe it's now and 40 more years in the wilderness. God has to raise up a whole new generation. And Joshua himself said, As for me and my house, it's today. We need to transfer God's truth, the good news that God has given us. Not only is it transforming our lives, but it's transforming the lives of others who have yet to receive and to take hold of the promise that's found through Jesus. There is a transfer of the truth that God has given us and we must become witnesses in a dark and lost world for those who have yet to receive and understand that there's a promise and God is calling them and he wants to use us to lead them into that truth. There is... There's an opportunity for us to travel lightly. We've got to figure out what's weighing us down and what's necessary. Because so so many times we think things are necessary when the reality is they're not as necessary as, as really we think they are. I think we need to take the right precautions. The precautions are that we need to guard the weak. We need to oversee the little ones that he's entrusted to us, not just physically, but spiritually. And to be cautious in how we communicate and how we talk and how we deal with each other and how we care for them and care for each other because that's what Christ would have us to do is to care for those who are in the body of Christ as we completely trust the leading of the Spirit of Christ moving toward the promises that he wants us to receive. There are things, I'm convinced, that individually and corporately we're not possessing that are available. And I think the time is now. It's now. Will you, will I, will we together do what is necessary to prepare for what God wants to bring into our lives? Are you mobile? Are you prepared for the cross? Let's pray.
1: Thank you for joining us for this broadcast of Emanuel Baptist Church. Emanuel is located at 1415 South Topeka in Wichita, Kansas, and is easily accessible from all parts of the city and surrounding areas. Each Sunday morning, Emanuel offers two worship services. The first service begins at 10 a.m. and offers a contemporary worship service and a casual and relaxed setting. Our second worship service begins at 11 a.m. and is led by the Emmanuel Choir and Orchestra. Both services are centered around strong biblical teaching where the Bible is presented in a clear and relevant way. Life groups for adults and children of all ages are offered at 9.45 a.m. and 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.ibcwichita.com. That's www.ibcwichita.com. This morning, we get to celebrate two people who are coming to do just that, to stand before you, to let you know that they have come to that point where they have completely surrendered their lives to their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is Jared. Several, several months ago, his uncle started attending our church, and he began to ask Jared and his wife, Amber, to come and and join him here in worship. And as Jared and Amber came, and as they were exposed to the preaching and the teaching of God's word, the last several weeks they said, it's as if the pastor were talking just only to us. And last Thursday in my office, Amber came in, and. She prayed to receive the Lord, then Jared came by and Amber got to tell her story to Jared. And then Jared prayed and received Christ as well. So they come to Sporting to give that testimony that they are Christ followers, that they're not ashamed of what it means to follow him. So Jared, have you asked Jesus to come into your heart to be your savior and your boss? And is it your desire from this day forward to be known as a follower of Christ? It is. Because that decision, it's my privilege to get to baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're buried with Christ in baptism, and we're raised to walk in the of life. The way we decided who was going to go first is says, Jared is gonna be the priest of the family. He said, I need to set the example and I wanna go first. So he's starting out right already. This morning, we get to celebrate, not only a spiritual birth, but Amber and Jared just shared with me, they found out some really cool news this week. They're expecting a new little one in their family. So you be a prayer for them. Amber, have you asked Jesus to come into your heart to be your savior and your boss? And is it your desire to be known from this day forward as a follower of Christ? Yes because of that decision. It's my privilege to get to baptize you this morning in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're buried with Christ in baptism. and We're raised to walk in newness of life.